Hello, and welcome to the Bedside Matters podcast, a podcast that addresses the medical issues that impact each and every one of us every single day. We will hopefully give you the answers you're looking for so you can be more informed and healthier. I'm one of your hosts, Peter Tilden, and I'm joined by Dr. David Kipper. David, how are you? I'm great, Peter. You, I hope. Doing good. Actually doing, well, we just got over the COVID and I feel really, really good. Anna, you good? Anna Vecino. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Okay. Did I not sound sincere? I, I really meant that in a sincere way. <laughs> it, it was sincere with a touch of condescension, which I always love. Before we get to today's questions, issues, this just happened. David, I know this is going to be an opinion thing, and Anna, you too, and Laura, you should weigh in. My background is advertising and marketing. Every day now I'm here working, and I like to have the TV on in the background as company. And now the songs that I'm singing are not the ones I grew up with. I'm singing, oh, 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 Ozempic. This episode was not brought to you by Ozempic. Bingo. But what I'm thinking is this, and I don't know, and this is like a, a little a survey, focus group. I can look it up, and, and I know because I prep is for diabetes, but I don't know what all the other, do you believe, do you believe in hemorrhoids? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. this. You hear the song, and you know the song. But does the song really brand the company? Does anybody come in your office and go, you know what? I need that thing for my heart. That's, ah, da, 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 da. Does, does anybody do that? Someone did a good job. My wife, when she wants to annoy me, she'll sing the Osempic song, the Rybelsa song. She's got all the semi-glutide. So something working there. We're always joking about how they name these drugs, right? And it has no reference to reality. and yet. We're all humming their songs. We sure are. So today's show? Today's show is very exciting. We are going to be talking about a number of topics, including something that I want to hear about, alpha-gal. Alpha-gal or alpha-gal? I'm not sure how to... Dr. Kipper is going to tell us how to pronounce that, the uh, meat allergy. And then we're going to be discussing vaping. Is it good for you? Is that a rhetorical question? We'll find out. Breast cancer detection. There may be something much less intrusive that you may be able to do at home. And then, hey, what about me? We have a caller who wants to know about a particular story that has to do with uh, having a hangover because the story sounds like fake news. So to start with, Dr. Kipper, is it pronounced alpha-gal or alpha-gal? Alpha-gal. So alpha-gal, what is alpha-gal syndrome? And I, by the way, I, you know, because people write me for recipes, this is not the first time I've heard of this, that people having a meat allergy, because I thought everybody could digest meat, then alpha-gal comes along. So what's the deal with alpha-gal? So here's a, it's an interesting story, but we're going to circle back to our discussions that we've had on ticks. Alpha-gal is a sugar that many meats, meat products have in common. This can be from a cow, it can be a deer, it can be a rabbit, it can be venison, pork. And it's a sugar that's specific to these animals. Not all the animals have it, but what happens is a tick comes along, a very special tick, by the way, the Lone Star tick. This is different than what we talked about with Lyme disease. And it's a tick that's isolated more to the south, to the Midwest, and in the Mid-Atlantic area. And it's a, a red tick that's got a little star in the middle of it. I think it's a star. Certainly is a dot. I haven't <laughs> looked that closely. But what happens is that this tick bites one of these animals and gets this alpha-gal sugar in its saliva. Then the 
tick goes ahead and bites us, and they inject this alpha-gal into us. And unlike other tick diseases where you're getting infections, like you're getting bacteria, you're getting virus, here we're getting an allergy. So this is, this is not an infectious issue. It's an allergic issue. I still can't tell you how much I hate hearing everything that you just said. That's very upsetting. <laughs> I'm not a tick sympathizer. You wouldn't feel bad for this tick if you saw a picture of it. And there are more ticks now, and there are more deer because of global warming and all those changes, a longer heat season. It is interesting because doctors were polled about this, and only, only half of the doctors that were polled knew anything about this, knew what it was, knew what to do about it. So diagnosing this is pretty tough because what you're getting is that you're getting allergic reactions. And you can get that from anything. So you're getting hives and rashes and swollen lips. What is different with this one is that you get gastrointestinal symptoms. You get stomach cramping, nausea, diarrhea. And these allergies will last a lifetime. If it's severe enough, if the reaction from the immune system is severe enough, it can be fatal. So, this so wait a minute. It jumpstarts your system so that you didn't have an allergy before? Things were not reacting a certain way, and after this is introduced, boom, your system is changed. So the tick bites you, the saliva goes into your system, and the immune system says, well, here's a new guy. We're going to create some antibodies to this. The specific antibodies, by the way, for allergens is an immunoglobulin E. Don't ask me where the E came from. But it's so you get this development of the IgEs in your system, and if you get enough of them, they can be deadly and they can create a lot of problems. Look back on COVID. Remember, a lot of what we saw in COVID as far as illness came from the immune response. The good news in this, because you can't really diagnose it easily, but now you can, there's an antibody test for this. So if in fact you get a tick bite and you live in these endemic areas and you think about it, First thing you should do is educate your doctor about it, get the antibody test, and then you just treat these, you know, supportively. But it's it's a problem, it's out there, and it's one of probably 17 different varieties of ticks that are after us this summer. First of all, I'm hoping this is right now a rare occurrence, or is it becoming more and more common? Because it sounds frightening. That's a good question, Anna. They estimate that in the last decade, there are probably about a half a million cases. So it's not that rare. And no, we know that's where not rare. It's coming from, but you know, enough people are, are getting this. Is it the kind of thing, like, for example, like my immune system, I could, because I have celiac, I know it's autoimmune. It's not activated by a tick bite, but so, but I, I just don't have the gluten and that's an easy thing to cut out unless you're a vegan. Uh, meat is not always an easy thing to cut out you know what I mean? Unless you're doing it deliberately. So is there anything that people can do to like tamp down their immune system so that they can digest the meat or are they just basically screwed? Uh, the latter, once you have this allergen, you, and you come across some meat product that has the alpha gal in it, not all of it, not all of these animals carry it. And there are certain animals, <laughs> I'll tell you what to avoid. Okay. You want to avoid yes. pork kidneys, and you want to avoid chitlins or the innards, the intestines in these animals. So if you can live with that. And that's even if you overcook, because when we had chitlins as kids, 
you cooked it for like 24 hours. Even if it's cooked for 24 hours, it will still have, it could possibly still have this alpha gal thing in it. Yes. I'll tell you something interesting when I read about this, and I was one of those 50% of doctors that knew nothing about this. Now that I knew something about this, this very week, patient comes in and she lives in the eastern seaboard and she's had this diagnosis of Lyme disease and the diagnosis has been questioned for a long time. And she came in because she was having abdominal pain and she's been worked up by a million different doctors for her abdominal pain. I'm thinking she might have alpha-gal syndrome. And I'm testing her with the antibody, which would be sort of interesting. If we were having this discussion before people had written me in the past six months about this, and I thought, I was like, what are you talking about? Allergic to meat. So, and if I had not known that, I would have thought, this is crazy. How can this even be? Because meat is one of the things that we're all able to assimilate into. And so it makes me really sad for people to have this allergy. And I hope they figure out something. Are they not publicizing this at all, David, or much? There was a recent outbreak, which is why we're talking about this. So it it really hit the media and the medical media. Uh, So this is how this works. It's a bump. And also, as soon as the weather cools down, we're not going to hear much about this. But part of the global warming experience is creating some of these issues that we really never paid attention to. David, before we move on, I just want to ask you one last question. I saw that this happens after you eat of food, to, to, like food poisoning, two to six hours after the meal, correct? Yes. I remember reading as a kid or learning way back that when you have food poisoning, you blame it on the most novel thing. Like if you hadn't eaten lobster at all, it's called conditioned taste aversion. So if it's lobster, that's you're sure that's what gave it to you. Is it the same type of thing where you attribute this to whatever your novel food was? So food poisoning, that's a good question, Peter. Food poisoning is a toxin. And the body is pretty smart. The body opens at both ends. So you're vomiting and you're having diarrhea to get rid of the toxin. This is an allergic reaction. So most people are getting hives and rashes and swollen lips and tongues. So it it does present very differently. And the reason they think, which I think is interesting, why it comes on two to six hours after your bite is that this toxin has to go through your system, the saliva gets incorporated, goes through your system. It takes a while. It's not like a bee sting when you have a history of allergy. You get an anaphylactic reaction uh, or some other allergen that you've been exposed to. If you go outside and there's pollen, you're going to start sneezing. This thing has to pretty much go through your gastrointestinal tract, so it takes a little while. Let's move on to uh, vaping. Not not the uh, wonder smoking substitute that people thought it was going to be whenever that was, when vaping swept the nation. When did that happen? When, when was that? When did vaping Ten hit? years ago, maybe? Well, nicotine vaping came in first. Remember, nicotine was, people were vaping nicotine so they can get off of nicotine. And then someone figured out, well, instead of nicotine, let's put marijuana in there. And so there are two kinds of vaping. There's the nicotine and there's the marijuana. And for a long time, we thought that the, especially the nicotine vaping was safe 
uh, because you were using smaller amounts and it was helping you get off cigarettes. The reality was the people that were vaping nicotine ended up smoking much more, getting much more nicotine. And then the marijuana vaping comes along and people think, well, that's not nicotine, so it's going to be safer. But people that are smoking or vaping nicotine and marijuana they're in the worst position because those two vaping products come together and create tremendous problems. And I think the story is relevant because I don't know about the three of you, but I always see people either in their car, you you can't see them through the smoke, or they'll roll down the window and it looks like a cumulus cloud coming out of the car. And Kids, this is this is a big problem. The demographic are young kids and teenagers that are that are smoking this, but it's toxic. And we were really made aware of this in 2019. I don't know if you remember when Evali was publicized. Evali is an acronym for e-cigarette vaping associated lung injury. And what we saw was this basically an epidemic uh, level of lung injury and lung disease. And when they traced it back, they realized that this was from marijuana vaping. 92% of these cases were from marijuana. And the culprit in this was vitamin E acetate. And the vitamin E acetate was put into the solution to dilute down the marijuana so that they could get this into a vaping form. And that particular product, the acetate, uh, was t- toxic directly to the lung tissue. Hey, kids, here's a new product for you that we're going to put to market. It's going to be okay to use, and then you're going to get addicted, and then we're going to tell you it's going to. It's unbelievable. There are a lot of toxins in these vaping products. There are metals that they use for the coil, right, for the heating device, and those metals, they're, they're metals. They're iron, they're lead, nickel, aluminum. When they're heated, they leak. So they leak those metals into the fluid. There are flavoring agents. Most of these marijuana products now are flavored. Do you remember in the 70s when they introduced Salem cigarettes? Yeah. They were flavored cigarettes. That was a marketing oh campaign. God. But the flavoring themselves have something called diacetyl. And diacetyl is uh, toxic if it's inhaled. Uh, so that's another problem that we have. And then there's a bunch of other things that they use to dilute down the marijuana uh, besides the vitamin E acetate. And these are things like formaldehyde and acetaldehyde. And these things, when you heat them, they just pierce the lung tissue. So these are problematic. These are not really very safe. And I think doctors need to address this with their patients. And especially if it's not a kid coming into your office, likely it's a parent that's got a kid and because it's marijuana and marijuana doesn't really have all the negatives yet that's starting to come out. So I think it's really an important issue for physicians. And I think there's got to be some public messaging out there and there have to be some regulatory uh, systems in place. But it is a problem. So to that point, David, if somebody comes to you, what, what are the other interventions now to help people get off of the, yeah. the e-cigarette, which they were put on? to get off of smoking? Smoking in general is probably the hardest addiction to break. And there's a lot that goes into it. There's a behavioral component to it, lighting something, 
putting something in your mouth. There's a social context that people are doing this together. With respect to nicotine, nicotine gives you an immediate dopamine hit. And we've talked about addiction before and how in the reward system, if you get a little dopamine hit, which nicotine provokes, that feels good. And you just keep doing that. And people that are dopamine deficient, people that are having imbalanced dopamine neurotransmitter systems, they take a hit of a cigarette and they immediately feel better because they're getting some dopamine. So it's a, it's a really tough dependency to break. And the answer to your question, Peter, in my opinion, is that you stop and you deal with the anxiety and the irritability that follows for a week and you get some behavioral therapy to break that issue. You know, a lot of people with coming off of cigarettes buy these little plastic cigarette holders or plastic cigarettes and just because they need something in their mouth. In our, hey, this just happened, we talk about it so often, the breast cancer awareness and how hard it is to detect and how archaic the, the method is still today and unpleasant it is. It appears that there's a mini breast cancer detector on the horizon. What does that look like? What does that mean? I know I saw part of the article said it's for home use. David, is this a big breakthrough? I think it is a big breakthrough for, on several levels. First of all, breast cancer, is, as we know, is the second most common cancer for women, and thousands of women, over 40,000 women a year, get, die from breast cancer. And 500 men die from breast cancer. Every 100 breast cancers in a woman, you're going to see one in a man. So it's not, it's not just limited to women. And early detection for all of these cancers, frankly, all of the diseases out there, early detection leads to a better cure rate. If you, if you find a breast cancer early on, very early on, you have a probably 99% five-year survival. If you, oh, that's good. If you find this cancer initially and it's spread, that goes down to about 30% five-year survival. So finding these things early is important. So what do we have? We have mammography. And mammography, uh, I'm sure Lori and Anna, you will attest to this. Peter and I fortunately can't, but it's painful. It's radiation. It's inconvenient. You have to get there. You have to hope your insurance is going to cover it. We've also lowered the age now for doing mammograms because we're seeing more breast cancer. And in women that have dense breasts, there's additional mammography that's needed. So more pain, more radiation. So the gold standard for diagnosing breast cancer is the mammogram combined with a breast MRI and an ultrasound. And those three modalities will give you the best odds because even with mammograms, you're missing about one in eight breast cancers. So and there, there are these what are called interval cancers, and that's about 20 to 30% of breast cancers. And those interval cancers are the interval between your last mammogram and your current mammogram. Uh, you develop these cancers. And so if you miss those cancers, so you have to be diligent with the mammography. So enter MIT and <laughs> the scientists at MIT. God love these guys. They figured out a way to put an ultrasound into a bra, and it's a—it's basically it's a flexible patch 
ultrasound, fits into a, a special bra, and the prototype is such that you have to hook it up now to a, an ultrasound machine, so it's not yet so convenient. But they're now working on making this into a, like a, a, a mini-sized size of a, a cell phone that will have all the ability to get the ultrasound quality. And Peter, you asked this question in the beginning. Uh, the quality of these things is equal to any ultrasound at any major institution. Well, I want it because I just got the order for the uh, mammogram. So can I wait for this device to come out next week? Is it coming out next week? Can I just get it next week? <laughs> well, I, no, I think, um, I think we're probably... Bummer. I think we're probably a year or two away from this, but it's it's around the corner. Uh, That's pretty amazing. It, it is amazing. I mean, it, I mean, it you got to think of how it's going to sh- going to be able to diagnose other things. Well, but think about women that can't access preventative care. Think about women that can't get a, a mammogram mm-hmm. very easily, and especially people that have a strong family history or at high risk. This is going to be fantastic. And like you said, Anna, I think if they can do this for the breast, they're probably going to be able to line this up for other illnesses. So today's hey, What About Me is from a caller. It's funny. We, we don't often get callers who question whether a medical story is fake news or not because we vet stuff pretty well here. But when I heard what his question about it has to do with hangover cures, let's listen. Hey, Dr. Kipper. My name is Joel, and I just heard about a synthetic alcohol that allegedly doesn't give you a hangover. Is this stuff real or fake news? This is a smart alcohol. And yes, it is true. It's called Alcarel. It's being developed here in the United States. And this is how these guys have figured this out. We know, for instance, that alcohol gives you some pleasurable effects and it gives you some bad effects. And so what these guys did was they figured out where the pleasurable effects are coming from and they figured out where the bad effects are coming from. And the bad effects, we all know, there's headaches, hangovers, uh, motor problems with walking and slurring your speech. So the negative effects are coming from one place, the positive effects are coming from another place. And what they found was that the GABA receptors, the gabapentin receptors in the brain, are the first receptors that get hit when you have a drink of alcohol. And the GABA is what gives you those pleasurable feelings. And GABA secretes in the amygdala dopamine and serotonin, those feel-good neurotransmitters. But there's another thing that happens at the same time, and that's when the alcohol gets metabolized by an enzyme in the liver, that enzyme creates acetaldehyde. And acetaldehyde is what gives you all those bad effects. That's what creates the other neurotransmitters then are stimulated and you get the negative effects. What's fascinating about this stuff, and I think really what's funny about this stuff is that the only human trials have been on the guys that are investing money into this company. And universally, these guys love this. I'd like to volunteer as tribute. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll try it. Well, I I think you'll have to get in a long line here because if you extrapolate what this means, you can take this tasteless product, and I don't mean tasteless as far as its morality. I'm talking about how it actually tastes. You can put this in any liquid. You could put it in non-alcoholic beer. You could put it in 
grapefruit juice. You could put it in water and you're going to get that gabapentin release from the brain, from the amygdala, and you're going to feel good and you're not going to get any of the negatives. I think what else is interesting is that there's three other products that are out there now to mitigate the effects of alcohol. There's a company in San Francisco that's developed an oral drug that's going to block the dopamine receptors in the amygdala. So you're not going to get those pleasurable feelings. Therefore, you're not going to want to drink. Naltrexone is another product that's been around a long time. It's an opiate blocker. They put this into a nasal spray. And if you were to spray your nose uh, before drinking, you're not going to be as inclined to drink because you're not going to get those pleasurable effects. And I think the, interest, the most interesting one is this group in Dallas that have found a specific stress hormone. It doesn't have a name yet. It has numbers and letters. It's the FGF21, if you're writing this down. And that's a stress hormone that provokes an adrenaline response, and that will sober you up within one to two hours. So think about that. So if you could put this <laughs> into the ignition switch in most cars that have a breathalyzer and uh, you, you test beyond the 0.08 and you take a little bit of this uh, within an hour or so, you're sober. But people are, you're at a party and you're drinking and you realize I'm going to be sick tomorrow. You take a little bit of this and you're, you're sober. If you want your question answered by Dr. Kipper, and who wouldn't? Head on over to bedsidematters.org, submit your question over there, and he might just answer it on the air. On that note, let's recap today's episode. Today, we discussed the terrors of the Lone Star Tick and AlphaGal. So stay away from the Midwest, the South, and the Eastern Seaboard. If you see a red tick that's got a little something on its back that looks like a star, run. Then we talked about uh, the dangers of vaping, how, how the real truth is coming out. It's not so wonderful, the vaping thing. And again, if you have kids or you know people that are vaping, have a conversation with them and let them know that this is really dangerous. And especially for younger people that think they're pretty much invincible, they're not. And these long-term problems, not just in the lung, but in the heart. So be careful with the vaping. And this week, say this just happened. A breast cancer detection unit that fits in a bra at home is around the corner. David thinks it could happen, what, another year, David? About a year. So never mind the socks. Stuff your bra with an ultrasound machine. Love it. May save your life. And then we got a caller about hangovers. Can we eliminate? Is there something out there that all of a sudden can eliminate hangovers? Alcarel, it is coming to probably the U.S. and 2026, we think. It's going to be here soon. It's a product you can put in any liquid. It will give you the pleasurable effects of the alcohol and not get the negative effects, the hangover, the headaches, uh, the slurred speech. It's a win-win. Thank you, Dr. Kiffer. His book is Override. It tells you all about, we talk about it all the time because brain chemistry is so important. It informs who you are. So you know the decisions you're making and why. Also, Anna, you will love her cookbooks. It's AnnaVaccino.com. Producer Lauren, thank you very much for all that you do. And you too, thank you for listening. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, we're here to help. We offer new episodes every Monday. So follow us, like us, have a great week, and stay healthy. 
The information on bedside matters should not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information on bedside matters is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. We'll see you next time.